Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall. This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Australia have won the Test Series against Sri Lanka 2-0, beating the visitors by 366 runs in the second test match here at Canberra. That's right, I'm still in the nation's capital two days after the test match in between times, Jeff. Uh, we've gone a long way uh, back, in my case, to getting to the airport at Canberra and, and onwards to London. Uh, we had an eventful afternoon. We had a, a very eventful oh, 12 hours or so. We've been wanting to do this long interview with Ian Chappell for probably a couple of years, and it seemed like this was the best opportunity until next summer. And we thought, well, he's in Sydney. It's not that far from Canberra. Uh, there are a few people driving up, so we organised ourselves a lift at the appropriate time. <laughs> didn't realise this lift was going to be a... We knew we were driving up with Ben Horn and Peter Lawler, but we didn't realise we were also driving up with a widescreen television set, a couple of massive suitcases, a baby seat. And then, you know, I, I travel the world with a shoulder bag. You, you travel the world with uh, an entire luggage ensemble, <laughs> which all had to be crammed into the back seat of the car on top of us somehow, buried underneath. It felt like sort of Eddie Murphy coming to America, uh, <laughs> but with slight, <laughs> slightly less expensive kit. Yeah, to be fair, I did know about all those factors beforehand. I just didn't perhaps brief you as well as I could have. Uh, ben told me the night before, Ben Horn, our colleague from the Daily Telegraph, that it was going to be a tight squeeze. Um, you and I aren't the two smallest blokes in the press box, Jeff. It was an interesting drive up there, but once we arrived, it was another sort of two hours to get to Chapelli's place and then do the podcast 
podcasts and so on, you had to rush back to the airport. And in my case, having forgotten which airport I was leaving to go back to London from, I thought it was Sydney, it was actually Melbourne, I had to get the bus back to Canberra. <laughs> so it took me four hours to get back to Canberra, rocked in at 20 past two last night. Um, and, and today I'll, 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 my forward travel will begin, but uh, it was all worth it in the end. I'm, I'm looking forward to releasing that Ian Chapel episode, Jeff, in the, uh, in the little bit of time we have where we're not together. This is actually the first podcast we're doing in, in different cities. We're trialling a bit of new technology and I, I think it'll work. It's a brave new world. We're off-site. Well, it's the end of a, of a long and, and at times arduous summer of six test matches, a bunch of one-day internationals and, and finally it's all over. Yeah, before we go uh, into the formalities, Jeff, of what happened between Australia and Sri Lanka and obviously uh, what happened in the Caribbean with the England-West Indies series, the, the Poms getting thrashed there and a bunch of other stuff to, to wrap up the, the men's international summer. Um, we we did put in the hard yards yesterday, Jeff. We put in the hard yards a few times for this podcast and, and now we have a, a model that we've put together which means that hopefully our, our friends and supporters and those who've been with us on the final word for a while can, can help make it sustainable. Yeah, I'm excited about this because we've been meaning to do it for a while. So basically we've set up a, a subscription service where if you're enjoying the pod, you can choose to subscribe to it and, and throw in a, a bit of tangible support as well as emotional and spiritual support um, if, if you're able and if you're so inclined. So that's done through the patron platform, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of in this kind of space. But the the fundamentals are pretty basic. Uh, you, you sign up to subscribe on an episode basis. You can choose what level you want to do that at. It might be a couple of bucks. It might be five. It might be 20. You know, it depends uh, what you're comfortable with and, and what your situation is. Um, and then the way that works is when we put an episode out, we also put a post up on the Patreon page and, and that uh, kicks in that subscription amount that, that you've chosen. So the way that we work is on average, we're, we're never going to be releasing more than one a week and, and that would be sort of during the busy parts of seasons and there'll be other parts of the year where we don't release one anywhere near that frequently depending on where we are and what we're doing. Um, but you can also set a monthly cap if you're... You know, if you want to support, um, but you know that there are limits to what you can do, you can make sure that it doesn't exceed what you can afford by um, putting a monthly cap on your contributions, no matter what we do on our end. So that's fundamentally how it works. Um, you know, basic levels, a couple of dollars. There are a couple of more boutique levels for, for people who want to get more involved, which a couple of people have taken up. For instance, if you want to have the opportunity to uh, record an episode with us or if you want to get us involved in, in a, an event at at your workplace or your cricket club or whatever it might be, there are levels for that as well. So all you need to do is go to patron, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com forward slash the final word and uh, you can sign up and, and get involved and we've already had quite a few people after popping this up on on twitter and the other social streams jeff uh last week get on board and and back us in uh with subscriptions uh and we just want to acknowledge those people the who've uh, who've been straight on it yeah that's that's extraordinary because we haven't haven't even really fully announced it yet but um quite a few have come in so uh shout outs here to matt mcd who's uh, anonymous with his he's just just a mcd uh alexander tokashik Stephen Rose, Crispin Harris, Alex Mummery, our old friend Joe Lundy, who we met in Perth. Hello, Joe. I also ran into Joe in, in a bar at Monica um, wearing, oh, wearing really? the same flamingo shirt. He was like, this is the most cricket shirt that I own, so I have to wear it to the cricket. <laughs> um, so hello, Joe. Uh, we've got Ben Gatter has signed up. 
and uh, Christopher Marsh, who I don't know if he's a relation to any of the other Marshes that we've discussed, Adam, uh, but if Into so, showing team. his support. He's in the final word, first 11. Oscar Mervyn, Cameron Manning, Nick Simdons, Charlie Sage, KB. I don't know if that means Kevin Bartlett or if, uh, if it's I a different KB. So. I expect it would be. Jeff Miles, who initially I read as Jeff Mills, who was a great techno DJ um, of, <laughs> of the, the early 2000s when I was going out and doing a bit of fist pumping on the dance floor. Um, our old friend Dan Liebke, Sam Thompson, Sam Litzer, Nick Welch, Simon Mead, Sam Henty, Susan Kane, Martin Gibson. And those last few have all upped the ante a bit as well. They're not coming in at the base level. They've, they've decided to bump things up a bit. And uh, a, a special thanks to Simon Wallace and to Matthew Beggs, who've joined in at the, um, at, at the millionaire's level. They're throwing dollar-dollar bills <laughs> around, around the room and just having a good old party. So That's elite support from those two. Well, it's, to be honest, it's really, it's really heartening <laughs> and, and touching that that many people have come in and jumped on yep. before we've even formally announced that we're doing it um, and, and they want to support the pod. And basically, it just means that we can afford to do things like take ridiculous day trips to Canberra to, to, from Canberra to Sydney to go and do an interview or you know, be able to, to add in a bit of travel or, or to you know, to, to justify the time that we put into the podcast and have done for the last four or five years. Yeah, that's right. It lays a bit of a base under what we're doing, uh, which this year will include a, a World Cup podcast, the, the World Cup Into the Ashes. It'll probably, Jeff, include a tour. Um, we had the successful uh, live show in Melbourne uh, about a month ago now, but we're, we're hoping to be able to do a few of those in the UK during the Ashes summer. So just having that stability through the, the Patreon account and subscription model means that um, we know uh, where, where, where our next meal's coming from or our next beer's coming from, depending on the night. Spiritually, maybe more importantly, it, it's like a community thing. It means everybody's, everybody's part of it. Everybody can get involved and, and can uh, you know let us know what you want us to be talking about. And can, we can all be building something together. So have a look uh, patreon.com slash the final word and, and hopefully if you do go at that top end level and you want us to come to your cricket club or, or do a show for you in the flesh which is an option on the on the website there you'll, you'll be wearing a shirt Jeff which you've you failed to do today the first time that we've <laughs> recorded remotely and you're sitting there wearing nothing well I didn't realize I'm wearing trousers thank you very much I just didn't realize this was going to be a video call so I prepared accordingly <laughs> but we've as, as you would know I've done but you know that old joke about newsreaders not wearing pants under the desk. You'd know yes. that I've done a lot I've of te- I've done a lot of television crosses while not being entirely clothed. Um, you know, as oh, long I, as the I, shirt looks good and you don't have to stand up. There's photographic evidence of this. I remember you crossing into a South African TV station a couple of years ago. And we were bashing around in Paris, and you were just wearing the just just wear, just wearing your pants and a t-shirt. That was I, enough for you. I think I was in a towel. I think I was doing a. Fa- oh, that's right. Seat. It might have been a towel. That's right. <laughs> You're ahead of the curve on that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, luckily the audio was adequate and nobody had to speak up. Right, so um, after going through that admin, and thanks for sticking with us and thanks for your support, uh, let's crack on and talk about the 366-run victory Australia had here at Marnica Oval. Uh, sport, cricket especially, isn't great for finish lines. It just feels as though we've completed something. But, Jeff, the focus is immediately transferred to what's going to happen in August, six months from now. Tim Payne, uh, in the media conference after the win, said that it isn't so much a case of turning to the Ashes. He's been thinking about it for six months already, which I found quite instructive that um, at, at sort of the top end of the level, they, this summer was important. But, you know, as ever, uh, the series against England will, will carry the most weight. Yeah, it was telling that the, the phrasing to one of his um, answers was... Uh, it, it was good to get this one out of the way, was, mm. was how it was spoken about. I suppose, you know, Justin Langer was very nervous about losing to Sri Lanka. He could, he could uh, foresee the worst in which, you know, they, they might have gone down to a, a much lower ranked team in, in foreign conditions. But 
as you say, now that it's done, it's all ashes, and it absolutely tickles me that um, pretty much every colleague we have spent the last day or two writing up an Ashes squad, which is completely pointless because there is, you know, six months of cricket to go. Oh, it's all right. Well, I've been commissioned to do that exact thing today, so I'll be writing up my Ashes squad in my column this week. It's, in the cricket it's paper an over absolute farce. It, it's like, what is the point? What is? Yeah, the point? Oh, look, there's obviously no no tangible point in it, but it, it, mm. you know, it, it, there is there is something there is something fun about sketching out teams and squads ahead of time. Um, one player who will be in that Ashes squad unless something goes dramatically wrong at the back end of the Sheffield Shield season and a stint with Lancashire is Joe Burns. To me, Jeff, it felt as though he was almost hiding in plain sight. We know that he is. Um, proven at test level to the extent that he has made three centuries before this week uh, and yet he wasn't really in the conversation until the back end of the India series like it would have been almost a shock selection had he been brought in for the first test against India despite the fact that he was an incumbent in South Africa it sort of shows how volatile his international career has been to date yeah well it's been volatile at the top of that order because Burns and Renshaw opened in Johannesburg in in the last test in South Africa then it was um, but suddenly it was Aaron Finch opening with Usman Khawaja in in the UAE and then back to Australia it was Marcus Harris uh, doing the opening job with Jesus I've just forgotten who was opening the batting for Australia in Adelaide <laughs> Finch initially um, and, and it didn't work out and so then Finch was was moved on so Burns has come into contention where he probably should have been the whole time he's he's got the record with that 100 in Canberra he's got 400 and 450s from 16 tests so you know it's a very high success rate really um, and, and he was unlucky to get dumped after that South Africa loss in Hobart in, in 2016 and has basically been paying a bit of a, a scapegoat price for it ever since, I feel. Yeah, he, he's been defined by his failures rather than success. So, so strangled twice down the leg side in Hobart. Um, that was also the case in Christchurch. Sorry, Wellington rather, when he was on the brink of getting dropped, they made 100 in Christchurch the week later. That was a really gutsy 100 too. I remember Neil Wagner, Jeff running in and bouncing he and Smith all day and doing a fine job of it. And they, and they toughed it out on a, on a challenging deck and both made 150 plus. Um, so there, there is that, that evidence space there that he can bat for a, a long period of time in Test cricket. Three of his four centuries have now been 150 plus, so that gives you a bit of a feel for it. Um, uh, with, with Burns, I think the other thing that's worth noting is that he was the top scorer in the second dig in Johannesburg. So I know it's a long time ago and it's not a Test match that can be used to measure much off, but you think of it now, we, we spent a lot of time and as did others talking about the injustice of Jim, Glenn Maxwell being dropped before the next test match in the UAE and not making the squad. Burns had an equally uh, an equally strong case that he'd been done over, if not stronger um, based on the fact that he'd actually been in that side whereas Maxwell was a squad member. I know that Burns had had a, a poor time of it in Sri Lanka uh, two years earlier but even in that case, he was dropped after two test matches. Um, the one before that was that great 100 in Christchurch. So he really hasn't been given a lot of latitude at any point during his career. Yeah, absolutely. And in that Sri Lanka series, you know, I remember it well because Rangan Harath was all over everybody. He was swarming Australia. Um, you know, it took Steve Smith until the third test to figure out a method against him that worked. Joe mm. Burns wasn't given that opportunity. And he didn't look all at sea in the way that, you know, Usman Khawaja in that series looked completely lost. But Burns in that series w- was finding a way to a point he made a couple of starts and probably just needed a bit more rope but um well Sean Marsh came back in in that third test didn't he and immediately yeah. made 100 because of course he did because because <laughs> Sean Marsh um, that's right somehow one of you know, the greatest performed Australian batsmen in Sri Lanka <laughs> over the journey <laughs> it was so it was important for Burns to 
to uh, lay a marker, knowing that Renshaw is also playing county cricket. Um, Cameron Bancroft will be um, playing four Shield games, and I'm sure he'll be of interest to Justin Langer. The fact that Harris is the incumbent and Warner's coming back, like it all sort of hinged on Burns making runs here, or he might have mm. gone straight back in the queue. Um, and and the same could be said for Curtis Patterson. I mean, he did look impressive at Brisbane, but. Had he failed here, indeed, had he been caught first ball, he was dropped at bat pad uh, first ball of his innings back on Friday. Feels like a long time ago now. Did go on and post a fantastic ton, but um, oh, I say a fantastic ton, a ton where the pressure was off to an extent, but he looked really good. Uh, and, and I don't think that will be lost upon those who are selecting teams for, for, the, for the Ashes series later in the year. Um, but yeah, so Patterson had one chance to stick the landing, didn't he? Because had mm. he not, you can you can be sure that had he been caught first ball, he would have found it hard. It shows how fickle selection is, doesn't it? That uh, it can some, sometimes it can hinge on an innings, and it, it's not fair, but, uh, but Patterson took the chance once it was offered. Yeah, I, it's one of the things I find strangest about cricket, where we we judge people on the end result rather than on on the process it, it's a bit like you know talking people have been talking about over eight suspensions all week and saying that if a test finishes in, inside five days then you shouldn't be punished for a slow over eight but if it does go the full five days and you're missing 40 overs from the game then 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 you should be punished it, it, it's a strange sort of idea to me that you, you judge patterson on the fact that he ended up with 114 not out but not the fact that he should have been out for naught first ball and if that catch is taken then you know he, he's still he's still given up the chance at the start of his innings he's still given the opportunity for him to be dismissed which just hasn't been yep. taken so then then i find it a little bit strange to say that how well he's batted when the start of the innings was, you know, was that clear-cut chance. It's, it's a weird one for me. Yeah, and, and the same goes for Travis Head to an extent, who did give a couple of chances along the way. Although in saying that, what I would say about Head is that he walked out with Australia 28 for three, I think it was, when Labuschagne nicked off, and um, he batted brilliantly. for That, that first... 40 or 50 yeah. runs, he transferred the pressure straight back onto Sri Lanka when they had their tails up and they, they thought they were in the game. And along with Burns, who looked good from the get-go, apart from a catch he, he gave to first slip off the spinner uh, before lunch, he, he was more or less flawless. But, but Head especially, Head did change the way that um, that test was being played on morning one. He did give some chances in the middle session, I think one on 40-odd and one on 87. No, I think he was in the 80s by the time he gave up that first chance that I remember yeah. but the, oh, I think there was one earlier I think there was one I think there, there was the one at slip and then there was well it's well, a long been, time ago now but the, the point is is that you do get some luck when you make a ton more often than not it's rare that you'll go through uh, an innings that, that lasts that long and not give some sort of opportunity to the to the opposing side a, a, a chanceless ton is a rare one yeah there was well, there was burns uh, off the spinner to slip and then there was um, head in hit one straight to gully when he was in the 80s they're That's the ones right. I remember yep. and, and then there was a court and bold when he was well past 100 by that point so he did you know looked a little bit ropey early but it was probably his most convincing innings in that sense and I'm feeling a bit better about Travis Head just, he, he just seems to have you know the gods are with him at the moment and he's made runs so many times it, it almost mm. ceases to matter how he's made them uh, I've always had this kind of um, hypothetical in my head is you know what if what if you had a play what if you picked a player who sort of came out a bit like Brendan McCullum in, in Christchurch and just scored everything off the top edge um, and just kept landing safely and had the most absurd run of luck and somehow you know they make a hundred you kind of have to pick them in the next game even if they played like absolute balls um, just because they got the numbers what if they kept doing it what if they had a whole career 
career where they were just absolutely shit ass <laughs> at batting, and yet they ended up as statistically the greatest player of all time. It'd be a very unlikely sequence, but it would be hilarious. Sure, I, I, I see where you're going. I'm not. It's like a side getting bowled out. We were talking at dinner, I think, on night one about a, a county game where where the team was bowled out for 17, and the conclusion was they didn't bat that badly. They just got 10 unplayable balls. I mean, you know, it, it can't happen. <laughs> you didn't get a chance to play poorly. Right. Um, that's the famous game where uh, Henry Blofeld was uh, meant to be writing the well, he was rather writing the match report, uh, and he. Um, so goes the wives' tale. I'm sure there's some mayonnaise added to this story, but he left, you know, half an hour early, and and uh, with his final paragraph just to fill in the final score. The idea being that you know they'd, they'd, they'd make their way to, you know, twenty for one overnight or something like that. And in the end, of course, all that seventeen, the story was dramatically different. It was far from twenty or thirty for one. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, so so head also was a player, Jeff, who. Was under not as much pressure. Got made the vice captain last week. Um, a player they're clearly investing in for the long term, captaincy state, and so on. Uh, but look, I have to say, like I was, well, I was very critical of the way that he got himself out in Melbourne and Sydney, and, and thought that that someone like Jimmy Anderson would be watching that ahead of an Ashes series and licking his lips. But um, he, he has found a way here to bat for the better part of a day. Um, was unbeaten in the second innings as well. Uh, but I think out of all the different qualities that he showed across those two innings. It was that it was it, it was how purposefully battered initially in a tough time, which reminds me of uh, of Ricky, Ricky Ponting. I, yeah. you know, and I don't want to make a comparison between the two. That'd be ridiculous at this stage of his career. But um, the way that Ponting would often come out with Australia, having lost an early wicket and it didn't seem to phase him, that's how Head's innings um, played out early before lunch when they needed to lay a floor under that early collapse, which isn't for nothing either that uh, Marcus Harris seems to have almost battered himself out of contention. Not Maybe not for the squad, but with Warner coming back and Burns doing well, it's hard to see a scenario where Harris is the incumbent uh, for the first test. I know it's a long way away, Jeff, and you're right to say there's a lot of cricket between now and then, but people won't forget that. And I, I don't think they'll forget the fact that he had opportunities in, in, uh, in well, three opportunities against Sri Lanka and, and, and got himself out on three occasions. Yeah, and got himself out re- in really ugly fashion. Yeah, all three I mean. basically yeah, yeah. big, you know, big sort of ugly swipes way outside off stump, just undisciplined stuff, which you can't afford to be going to England. And and that's the thing. I, I haven't felt entirely sold on Harris, even through the India series where he played well as top, you know, top scorer, but and, and you know, a couple of decent fifties. But there was always just something a bit streaky about it, and I, I didn't quite trust the way he went about his game and uh, and then this Sri Lanka series just confirmed that in that you know absolute uh, gift wrapped opportunities to make a big score no one's going to make a big score every time you can't go out there and pile on 300s you're still facing a test match side and there's still some pretty decent bowlers and and it's still a matter of luck um, but to get out the way he did on th- on three occasions I think I think selectors can easily say that runs you've made against uh, a weaker team out of their conditions don't necessarily count for much, but runs that you don't make against a weaker team out of their conditions probably count for more. Um, and for my, for my money, he's he's basically a you know not so good David Warner. He's a he's a chunky aggressive left hander who's going to go after the bowling and, and take some risks, and it might or might not come off. Do you want two of those kind of players, particularly when one of them is much, much better and has 22 test hundreds? Uh, or, or do you want a player like Joe Burns who's more inclined to leave the ball, who's a right-hander, um, who's a taller batsman, who goes about things in a different way and could could provide a foil? Yeah, I wonder whether he would have batted in, in such a way or whether we would have interpreted it that way when he was batting early on in the summer against India where he did occupy the crease for a decent amount of time in Perth. 
and this picks up on Simon Kadich's point on radio during the week that Harris went from four test matches against India, including quite a successful one at Sydney, then three big bash games, and then straight back into another test series, a fresh one. Now, of course, that's modern cricket. The modern game requires you to, to bounce between formats, but was he given the best opportunity to succeed here, having to completely modify his game and play the shortest form in between these two series? That, that's, a, that's something that I think it certainly didn't help the situation. Yeah, although I think the talk about scheduling might be a bit overcooked. I noticed in doing some research for the Ian Chappell interview, you look at the last season that he played where he came back and played a, a couple of test matches. Australia mm. was playing a test series against the West Indies and against England interspersed, overlapping, sort of one, one against one country, then one against the other. They had one-day games thrown in there, but they had test matches where there were two-day gaps and they had a test match where there was one day break between the two tests uh, at the end of January and then coming into February uh, you know th- then you play one day game then you go straight into another test match the scheduling was insane in the 1970s yeah. and 80s post post world series I mean that this is what Greg Chappell always says about the underarm incident it's that the, the reason why it happened according to him I haven't watched a documentary yet by the way I look forward to watching the Adam Zouar documentary listen to the final word uh, that um that uh that, well interviewing him last year about the matter he said mm. that um it, the schedule was so crazy that they would do they would do anything to not play another game of cricket, including, um, of course, what happened at the MCG on that fateful day in 1981. So you're absolutely right, but I'm not sure we should use that as the benchmark. I, I just sort of see no, the... It's, it's not ideal. But, yeah, no, but none it... of it's ideal. And, and it's the modern game, right? Like, I'm not saying there's an easy fix. There's no lever to pull. But, uh, but I, I do, you know, part of me does feel a little bit for him that there was no chance for him to play red ball cricket in that gap between uh, between the India series and the Sri Lanka series. By contrast, the fast bowlers didn't play big bash. They just took a breather. So, yep. you know, it's funny how we interpret fast bowlers needing a break and needing to get away from the game for, for physical reasons, yet for batsmen who might be fatigued above the shoulders, we, we're we reluctant to give them that space and that break, even when there is a test match series coming straight back after the first one. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, with some time to freshen up before England, he, he might be a different player with a different approach, but it, it just looked like a missed opportunity. Um, Usman Khawaja grabbed his last opportunity of the summer. Uh, I think that was largely why Tim Payne didn't enforce the follow-on, was just to, to give Harris and Khawaja another bat and hope that they could make a score. Khawaja could, um, made 100, celebrated it intensely. You know, I, I don't think he thinks that it was the toughest bowling he's ever faced, but he knew it was important for him in a summer where he's, you know, he's been disappointing. He wasn't able to step up as the senior player behind Smith and Warner, but he was able to at least take that last opportunity to, to get a little bit of um, momentum out of, out of the season. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, there's junk time hundreds and then there's junk time hundreds and that was right up there, Australia taking a 316 run lead. They were only ever going to bat for two or three hours. So the the it wasn't a particularly meaningful knock in the context of the game. Indeed, it wasn't at all. But um, the way he celebrated showed, as you point to, Jeff, the... The, the sort of pressure he's been carrying around with him. Um, he was asked about this at the press conference when he made the 100 and he, and he reflected on his brother's situation having been arrested at the start of the international summer and um, sort of alluded to how taxing that's been on him and his family. So, uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a great achievement for him to be able to um, f- finish the summer well. But, uh, you know, talking to some others around the place, listening to commentary of former Test cricketers and so on, I think there are still some concerns about the way that he's addressing the ball uh, in a more front on way that rather than side on it like technical mm. stuff that we're not equipped to talk about but I'm, I'm aware that there is a school of thought out there that there is some work that he'll need to do to be effective in England this year so it's a bit of a watch this space for mine I'm glad that he made the runs here and I'm, I'm hopeful that they won't take him to India for the one day as I reckon they will they but will. I think I think that against the Dukes ball for uh, the Sheffield Shield games 
to finish the season and who knows I mean I don't know where Queensland are on the table right now but that could be five if they make the Shield final uh, whether that would be a broader benefit but of course it's a World Cup year and he's jostling for a position alongside Hanscom and Marsh and Steve Smith and so on in that middle order there so uh, there, there's, there's competing interest again that we talked about with scheduling that at almost the worst possible time he's got to put down the you know put away the creams and, and put on the coloured clothing again. Yeah, I think, well, Justin Langer specifically, he singled out Kawaja saying, you know, he's not just playing test cricket, he's a member of our one-day team. And Langer mm. also said, we're not likely to um, make any changes from the squad that played India um, to the squad that goes over there. So he seemed to be very strongly signalling that, that Kawaja will stay. Um, and also had a line about what's best for the individual isn't necessarily what's best for the team, and we have to put the team first because it's a World Cup year. So all of that sounds like he's not going to get what, what he probably should, which is a chance to, you know, uh, with that Sheffield Shield average above 50 that Kawaja's got to, to go and get himself in touch there. But um, I felt his 100 was basically the batting performance of uh, the batting equivalent of Mitchell Stark's 10 for, um, a, a beautifully even 10 for 100. Um, I tell you what, he's only had a couple of 10-wicket matches. He's had nine fours that were much more significant and against harder opposition. Um, but it just felt important that he was able to get that stat you know get get something good in the stats column uh feel good hit the stumps a few times it was a strange sort of bag you know the the, the hit wicket um was it Kusal Mendes chopping down his own stumps trying to pull uh, and, and then you know quite a few of the the very ropey tail enders that he added but then there were a couple of brilliant deliveries to good batsmen as well with the ball swinging and coming in and hitting the stumps so it was it was classic Mitchell Stark I guess a very mixed bag yeah, the ball to Thiramane, uh in the second innings was an absolute screamer, and there were quite a few of those. What was impressive to, again, those sort of uh, guys that watch fast bowling a lot closer than we do is that how quickly he bowled consistently from the start, which suggested that he had a bit more freedom and he wasn't, uh, I guess, encumbered by uh, concerning himself with where, where he was landing it, which meant that his first couple of overs were ropey. Um, indeed, he was taken off after four overs, wasn't brought back until not long before stumps on the second day. Did pick up a wicket then. Um, it was the captain, Chandimal, uh, got a little edge through to the keeper off, off his face, a ball he shouldn't have played at. So um, that kind of got Stuck's confidence up, got him in the book, and then he was much, much better uh, on the third day. Uh, he bowled far more accurately and then obviously on, on the final day he was able to run through them for a while there he, I thought he was going to take 7 or 8 or 9 even he had 4 of the first 5 wickets to fall and uh, and he looks like he was having one of those days he was on a hat trick and yeah, we, we know what it, what it can be like for a fast bowler who's bowling accurately they can with a, with a head of steam uh, take enormous bags but what that wasn't quite the case but uh, I agree with your fundamental point, though, Jeff, that it wasn't the best he's ever bowled, and I'm sure he would admit that as well. But, uh, yeah, the, the confidence of taking a big bag, it's funny how um, a fifer of any, of any description, of any substance, will, will, will buoy a bowler um, like no other thing in cricket. So the tests are done. We've got the, the Rose Bowl series between Australia and New Zealand women's teams coming up, and then the men's team are straight into one day as in India through February and, and then the, the UAE in March. So it, it doesn't feel like anything's finishing at all, and you know, certainly our podcasting schedule won't be finished because there's so much cricket to do in that lead-up to the World Cup. Yeah, all as old as new again. We've, uh, we, we Australia now go on to play India in those limited overs games, the UAE, before they start saddling up for the World Cup. You mentioned there, Jeff, the, uh, the one-day internationals between Australia and New Zealand with the women, which I'm looking forward to, a nice way to cap the summer off. Uh, I did note that a few people had kind of thought the international summer was complete, but the, the women's side do get a chance to uh, finish it off. Of course, it feels like a long time ago since they started the summer, uh, 
on AFL Grand Final night. So it was back in September playing those T20s and, and, and they get another chance right at the very end of the summer. It displays a little something about how the scheduling works, I suppose, to be, uh, to be the opening act well in advance of the season and then the closing act right at the tail end. A word before we finish up on this segment, Jeff, about Sri Lanka. They're, they're suffering from any number of internal issues. They've, um, they're, you know, uh, enduring governance problems. A, a terrible year off, off the park last year um, with when it came to the, corrupt, the corruption inside Sri Lankan cricket and, and match fixing and so on. Uh, it, it feels like that might start be filtering through. They, they admittedly were very most depleted here they're losing their four frontline quicks Angelo Matthews their captain as well but um, this, this wasn't a flattering performance I, I wonder whether they are about to go through the same sort of funk that the West Indies are only now just coming out of God you hope not you absolutely hope not it, it's it's hard to pick I mean you know a couple of years ago Australia was the side that looked absolutely ordinary in Sri Lanka. Um, you know, Australia yeah. got re- beaten in Gaul by lunch on day three. Um, so it's the longest amount of time I've ever covered a test match while not actually having to cover a test match. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it, it, it was extraordinary. And Australia looked like the, you know, they should be the bottom ranked side who didn't deserve to play against better opposition. Mm. So I think the optics can change quickly depending on, on conditions. But, you know, that side a couple of years ago had a couple of very, very good players who weren't in this team, um, notably Hera. And, and Matthews, but they do still have some. You know, Chandamal's still there. He played poorly, insisted on batting himself at first drop when he probably shouldn't have. And now he's been dropped. He's been dropped from the test side for South Africa, Chandamal. So, like, it's it's one of those things where he's tried to back himself in and do the right thing. Now he's lost his spot in the side. Yeah, and, you know, captain one day and, and feed up the next. Um, Kusal Mendes had a bad series, but he's a 23-year-old who was playing two tests yep. in, in foreign conditions. So... I don't know that you can read too much into it. I, I liked a lot of what I saw from Niroshan Dikwello, just the way he was willing to, to sort of take the game up to the Australians for as long as he could with the bat. Um, so uh, there, are, there are signs to like. And, and Saranga Lakhmal, I don't want to gloss over it, he bowled beautifully in Brisbane with very little support. By the end of, uh, the end of that innings, the, all of his fast bowling colleagues had broken down he was um he was on his own and he went out there and took a five for against australia and kept them from galloping away with the game so you know i i thought he did tremendously and it's it's just hard for a side like that to come to australia with not much preparation and with um not much time to get into a series and be able to perform. Yeah, a bit concerning they go from this series to South Africa where after they struggled against the short ball, you can be sure what's coming there with Rabada and Gidi, Stain uh, back in the side now as well. It could it could get a lot worse before it gets better. I hope that they, when they do go to South Africa, Jeff, they bring the bloody stem guards on the helmet. What was that all about? I mean, obviously I, I feel for... Um, Karuna Ratna copying that whack to the, the side of the head from Pat Cummins. That was an awful blow. I was behind Pat Cummins' arm when he, when he was bowling down at the far end here and um, it, was, it wasn't was nice at all uh, in the slightest to see a player felt like that. It, it obviously does um, bring back certain memories from a few years ago when, when a player's lying there like that and carried off and you just wonder how they are not all wearing these stem guards on the helmet now against a bowler like Pat Cummins and the other quicks in the Australian side. It, it just seems crazy to me. Well, particularly the way they play the short ball, which is, you know, when, when you get in trouble, you turn your head away and pull, pull out of the line it. of the ball because, yeah. um, you know, and there's been a lot of discussion about this, that when players didn't wear helmets, they had to be a lot more careful um, in, in terms of how they played the hook shot. Um, you know, they had to step outside the line. They had to keep their heads away from the line of the ball and they were much uh, quicker to try to evade it rather than take it on and get hit. So, uh, it, yeah, something it, it's a kind of thing I feel has to be made mandatory. It just, it just has to be a, a non-negotiable because you see an incident like that and that could have ended up a lot worse than it was. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with 
Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Of course, Jeff proudly brought to you by Kookaburra. If it ain't cooker, it ain't cricket. Every week during the summer, you can win Kookaburra prizes, bats, pads, gloves, thigh pads, anything in the uh, in the Kookaburra canon. Uh, just head to kookaburra.biz, so kookaburra.biz to sign up to the team and and Jeff, they can they can grab one of the the bats, whether it's the the Kahuna, the Ghost, the Surge, the Blaze, some of our faves. Yeah, well, I, I got home and walked in the walked in the front door, and there was the Blaze leaning up against the wall, just just welcoming me home. That's the kind of uh, the kind of welcome you get from your Kookaburra kit. I was at a party a couple of weeks ago, and this girl was like, "Oh, I bought this uh, Kookaburra dress, and I really love it." And I was like, "Wait, hang on, they're making dresses now." She, she meant a dress with pictures of Kookaburras on it. Um, it was not actually made by a Kookaburra, but hot tip for Kookaburra: maybe time to expand into a, a line of women's clothing um, so that you can look stylish. Uh, while off the field as well as on. Good shout. So the uh, Kahuna is used by Usman Kawaja, the man that made 100 last week. The Ghost by Marcus Harrison, Nicole Bolton, a couple of Australian openers there. The Surge, Peter Hanscom, Mitchell Stark and Sophie Molyneux. All that blaze of yours, Jeff, Glenn Maxwell, Rachel Haynes and Josh Hazelwood. The final word brought to you by Kookaburra. If it's not Cooker, it's not Cricket. Jeff, to, to round out the show, a bit of pot puree, I've got to jump on a flight uh, to the UK, so we're going to be cutting this one slightly short this week, but uh, we can't uh, progress uh, without making a note of England having been uh, defeated 2-0 by the West Indies. What a wonderful performance from the home side. It's so exciting. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche to say this, but isn't it great to see the West Indies back seriously competing uh, with, a, with, a, with a bevy of fast bowlers too? Yeah, a four-man pace attack um, going relentlessly. Of course, that's why they ran into problems with the over-eight. But if you're winning the test, then why would you change what you were doing? England was resold for under 200 again on both occasions. It was a difficult sort of pitch. You know, there were um, it, it looked like it was hard to time and play shots on, but the West Indies batsmen managed it by just self-abnegation. They just refused to be drawn into anything that was going to be risky or or dangerous. They batted out time, and England's batsmen weren't able to do that despite batting all the way down. Um, they weren't able to put together a score. Yeah, and, and these are... Well, they've got a test against Ireland at Lords after the World Cup, and obviously they have one more against the West Indies, but they're in a similar boat to Australia in that they've got a, a batting order which is far from stable, and this is the... Oh, look, at, at no time in the last year would have Australia thought they were a realistic chance of winning the Ashes this year, but this might just be the moment where they... Well, I say winning, retaining, I mean, but uh, this might be just the, the window where they start to, to consider um, uh, how they might go about winning there for the first time since 2001. And, and that island test is an interesting one. It's a bit like the Sri Lanka series for Australia where um, who they pick for that test is important because they might, you know, whoever they pick has a pretty good chance to, to do well, but it doesn't necessarily tell them anything much for the Ashes coming forward. So a bit of a watch this space on England. Jeff, something we meant to talk about last week and didn't get around to, but just to lay a marker, um, the Perth Stadium and Cricket Australia um, elected to warn uh, a, a few a few um, sort of garden variety white supremacists for hanging up a, 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 an It's OK To Be White banner at a big bash game a couple of weeks ago. I've written about this. We've both spoke about it on social media. It, it seems remarkable to me that the option to, to suspend or ban these guys from coming to the cricket wasn't acted upon by the authorities, whether it's Cricket Australia or the stadium. Uh, the police, to the best of my knowledge, certainly not in the last, until the last couple of days, haven't done anything other than warn them as well. So uh, a disappointing um, uh, episode there when you consider that uh, Cricket Australia spent a lot of time talking about zero tolerance to racism. 
Well, also at Perth Stadium, you know, in a very uncomfortable juxtaposition, they've just announced that they're putting up the Nicky Winmar statue there where um, the, the, the famous instance where he made a stand against racism, pulled yep. up his jumper, pointed to his skin to, to indicate how proud he was of his heritage. That statue is going to be outside the stadium where these guys are, are apparently free to keep attending the cricket, you know, as long as they don't decide to um, unveil any more weird internet meme racism. Um, they, they've sort of managed to get away with it because it's, it's an oblique enough reference that uh, it, it's not completely obviously a sort of white supremacist reference if you don't know the background but if you do then it absolutely is it's a it's a a coded sort of kkk racist statement yeah that's right it's a coded message which has been picked up by the kkk and other far right um far right doesn't even start to explain who these groups are literally the kkk i mean domestic terrorists in america so um that that that's where this slogan um, has direct links to. Um, I wish we could spend more time talking about this because I think it's just absolutely disgraceful um, that they weren't given a, a sturdier ban, but well, they weren't given a ban at all. Sorry, they were given a final warning. What does that even mean? They can come to the cricket next week and do it again, and the precedence there that they could do it once around the country with different people each week, and and uh, and we could have a real problem on our hands. Hopefully, we don't, of course, but um, that's a bit of a watch this space for mine. Um, as and to continue my whinge, uh, we 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 uh, Jeff um, at Canberra this week. We, we spent some time earlier in the summer. Um, talking about the Bet365 advertising around um, the venues, just marking a place really on this one that it didn't let up, did it? It was as prevalent as at Canberra as it was at Perth and, and uh, as it was at the MCG in Sydney, it was everywhere. Yeah, that's what happens when you shovel a lot of easy money into the game um, that, that you've taken off people who keep handing it over. It's the pervasiveness of of betting advertising in all sports across the country is it's insane it's it's extreme um it's it's the kind of thing where you know people should be able to gamble if they want if they want to make their own choices but to be constantly bombarded with reminders to do it is when it becomes um it's not a choice at that point there is no free choice when you're when you're being hammered with it it's it's coercion um and and it's trying to activate an addiction for people who have a, a genuine problem that's that's wrecking lives so um it's one of those lobbies that's so rich and so powerful that anybody who tries to act against it finds themselves facing a, a lot of political opposition and so there aren't uh, many in politics who are willing to take it on and those who do often seem to be um, suffering the price. And as we explained after uh, the Perth Test match episode of The Final Word, um, no issue with Bet365 and other gambling companies advertising um, commercially, whether it's with TV stations and radio stations, that's one thing, but Cricket Australia is, a, is an organisation that doesn't pay tax. It's a non-for-profit. It's got a broader mission in the community, and I think that um, that's something that needs to be looked at ahead of next season. Hopefully, and I know inside Cricket Australia, since we spoke, first talked about it, Jeff, um, there have been people inside the organisation who spoke to me and, and essentially said, keep, keep it up, keep the pressure on, because they'd like to see it eradicated as well. I know that very conscious that you've got to go and jump on a flight. We've got a very big few weeks coming up on the final word. We've got uh, three... Terrific interviews in the can. We've got Isha Gua, we've got Earthboy, the musician who does our uh, title song and, and is, has various um, connections to cricket that we'll go into in that interview. And we've got a, a long and in-depth interview with Ian Chappell. So those will be coming over the next few weeks um, and there'll also be uh, various episodes from us on what's going on in India, what's going on in the Rose Bowl and uh, what's going on elsewhere in cricket around the world. We'll be keeping our eyes peeled and of course if you want to support that, the reminder is to go to patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com 
slash the final word and you can subscribe to the podcast and uh, help us keep it afloat yeah and as always if you can jump on itunes and and pop up a review or a rating that that helps enormously as well in terms of uh, keeping more people listening to what we're doing on the final word Uh, as you say jeff i better beat it and uh, jump out to the airport but again we'll, we'll be continuing the final word via remote it's like we're members of the postal service writing lyrics and i'll send them to you then you'll send back some lyrics and i'll send some music and so forth not quite that sophisticated but we'll keep doing this uh through the weeks that we're apart uh leading into what will be a gigantic 2019 in the uk thanks as always to kookaburra if it ain't cooker it ain't cricket uh thanks to bad producer productions and jay mueller and an especial huge thanks to everybody who's already supported the patron campaign we're absolutely delighted we're very touched that that you've all got behind the final word and we hope to keep it going uh, for you for a long time to come this has been the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins we'll see you next time